0: Welcome to a brand new edition of the Current Account Podcast. I'm your host, Hamsini Karthik. Well, it seems that sequels are the flavor of this season. Gada 2 was a super hit. For the Tamil audience, it seems chandramukhi 2 is round the corner for release. And Indian 2 is also in the making. At Current Account, we thought, why not have our own sequel to a super hit edition on the private credit topic? Joining us to discuss on this is Nilesh Dedi, and he is the Managing Director and CEO of Avendis Finance Private Limited. Thanks so much, Nilesh, for taking your time out.
1: Hey Nilesh. Thank you so much for joining in. We're here today to talk about a very uh, interesting topic, something that's been catching the fancy of a lot of our leaders, a lot of people in the industry, including you, a lot of people on the other side wanting to avail this facility, and we're talking about private credit here you can just start with what private credit should mean to a very normal audience and then we'll take it forward from there, Nilesh.
2: Sure. Thank you, Hamsini, for inviting me. I'll start with a very basic uh, thing in terms of what private credit is. I mean, generally, while there is no standard definition, uh, Mm -hmm. generally private credit is something which is traditionally has been the non-bank debt. Okay. So anything Mm -hmm. where banks are not giving the debt is what generally falls into private credit, along with it not being the public debt, which means that it is not a listed uh, debt instrument, right? Like what you have for a higher rated corporate. So if you exclude bank financing and if you exclude the public debt, which are typically available for the higher rated uh, companies, everything and anything apart from these two in the overall credit uh, spectrum will fall under the private credit.
1: Possibly one of the reasons why private credit, especially in the last uh, year or two, has been gathering a lot of momentum is also because uh, for uh, some of the startups, including some of the fintechs, this has been an important source of funding. Increasingly, we've seen it in the West, even in India, that uh, trend did pick up with a couple of names that went into stress, whether to buy out another investor's take or whatever, or even for uh, regular business opportunities. So in India, uh, with the startup world, how would you rate this uh, whole private credit experience?
2: Sure. So, uh, see, if you look at private credit as something which is, let's say, not traditional bank debt or traditional lending, Now, if we look Mm -hmm. at it from that lens, then yes, private credit is actually more suited towards the requirements of startups or fintechs, right? Uh, Because by definition, startups may not have the traditional business model or the established businesses. Uh, While Mm -hmm. typically banks will look at anything which is more standard or which is more mature or which is more established, right? Uh, So they generally like the standard parameter, yeah. They generally like standardized parameters kind of products. And because uh, startups are growing at a faster rate or they are changing their business models or they don't have that kind of a vintage, uh, typically Mm -hmm. private credit uh, is more suited. Uh, to the funding to the startup ecosystem. So that has been one of the main reasons. The vehicle in which it is funded could be anything. I mean, lately, private credit fund, uh, which in India we call it an AIF, uh, is something which has been gathering the pace. Uh, Venture debt fund in that uh, category has been uh, someone who has been kind of focusing on the startup ecosystem a lot, and has been in the business for last four to five years quite actively. Uh, As far as the West is concerned, See post 2008 crisis, where before that, I mean whether it's India or whether it's West, a lot of debt Hmm. requirements were met by the banks or the public market. But after that, since Since a lot of regulations came in, right, and uh, there were a lot of Mm. restrictions also on the banks
0: Mm. in the
2: West directly, this entire market moved to the fund structure. While in India, what happened was that it actually moved to the NBFCs. Uh, That's why you saw a lot of uh, NBFCs coming out post 2009-10. And this private credit uh, was mainly. Uh, kind of I would say catered to uh, by the NBFCs over the last 8 mm. to 10 years. However, post NFS crisis, as we know, I mean, uh, NBFCs or the Structural Credit or Private Credit NBFCs also have kind of seen that uh, yeah. they are reducing their focus on this market. And slowly, yeah. slowly in terms of the vehicle, Private Credit Fund or an AIF is considered to be a more uh, uh, suitable vehicle. Okay. So that's how the changes have happened between West and uh, India as far as especially the fintechs are concerned. See fintechs mm. are actually the fundamental business is still lending only right which is a traditional business model which a lot of people understand. Mm. So mm. Uh, while uh, non-fintech startups or for any other businesses a private credit fund may be more suited uh, as far as the fintechs goes actually you see all the players playing out so you have banks also who are giving money to fintechs you have nbfc's also who are giving money to fintechs and you have a funds also who are giving Mm. money to fintech so fintech within this entire uh, category i would say since their fundamental business or underlying business is uh, a a traditional lending business i think still Mm. people are able to understand that business model and that's why you see uh, a lot of banks nbfc and uh, also uh, giving uh, uh, money to fintechs
1: We are currently, maybe right now, funding crisis is not the word to use. That uh, funding winter period is sort of past the winter stage, but it's not so bright as far as the funding uh, uh, ecosystem is concerned as far as uh, even now. And uh, uh, most of the funds in India, most of the private equity money in India has run its course of seven years, eight years of gestation. Some of them would be looking at exits. Uh, Do you see private credit as a viable proposition to sort of replace uh, uh, equity with a quasi uh, equity or debt kind of a structure?
2: Sure. I think, see, uh, people will have to see what kind of a category uh, of companies or entrepreneurs we are talking about. So uh, if you if you talk about, let's say, businesses uh, or uh, which have been around, let's say, for 10 years, 15 years, Uh, If they are into industries which are well-known industries, right, Mm. where promoters own, let's say, more than 50 uh, percent, if these are the kind of situation where the uh, future looks more certain or one can predict or there is an underlying cash flow and everything, I think for these kind of situation where it is relatively easier. Uh, to predict the future uh, and take a call, I think private credit will definitely and has been actually over the last four to five years, uh, one of the uh, key sources uh, for promoters or the companies to give exit to the private equity players. Typically, it has been happening at a shareholders level uh, where one Mm -hmm. majority uh, shareholder in generally it would be promoter uh, would kind of pledge his shares and take a funding and then give exit to private equity player now this situation could be for anything uh, whether it's because the fund has run its uh, course in terms of the time period or because the overall market for going for an ipo is not uh, conducive or maybe there is a valuation mismatch right i mean so fundamentally there is nothing wrong uh, with the underlying business that uh, private equity player is exiting, it's just that the timeline wise and the valuation wise and the structure wise maybe uh, sometime, uh, let's say later on, uh, two to three years, it may be better time for a company or a promoter to dilute equity or go for an uh, IPO. In this situation, definitely private credit plays a very important role to bridge uh, this gap of timeline valuation and other things and then kind of it acts as an uh, tool uh, which can give exit to private equity player and then private credit uh, investment itself gets repaid once the equity round happens or anything uh, any other cash flow comes in right,
1: right so yes and one of the other uh, interesting things that I've seen in this market is that this is also a space uh, which is getting crowded uh, for instance private equity money is coming as private debt then We have banks through their AIF channels set up private credit market. NBFCs like you are into private credit as well. How do you see competition among each of the three players sort of evolve? And more importantly, how do you see, you know, NBFC's contribution in this to be uh, significant or to be very pronounced? So
2: I will break it into three or four categories, uh, uh, like you mentioned. One is the banks, uh, one is mutual funds, one is NBFC, and one is the global private equity funds or the global funds, right? As far as the banks are concerned, typically, uh, given the regulations and all, uh, they generally would not probably set up a private credit fund and we are at least not seeing any banks Uh, are trying to set up a private credit fund. Uh, But yes, a lot of mutual funds or AMCs, which might be a subsidiary or which might be an associate of a bank, right? And they're running an AMC business. Yes, a lot of mutual funds are coming into this market and setting up their private credit funds. Uh, One of the key reasons is that in February and March of this year, I mean, there was a change in the taxation, right? I mean, earlier, as you would be aware, uh, the debt mutual fund used to kind of attract a uh, different kind of taxation uh, than the credit fund. And since that difference has gone away, there is no particular advantage of investing either through a mutual fund or through an AIF. In both the uh, segments, uh, the taxation treatment is same, right? And that's why a lot of mutual funds are kind of now trying to do their credit transaction through an AIF route, which is probably more flexible or which is oriented towards the more sophisticated investors, right, who understand uh, this kind of a market and can take a call. So that is one of the reasons for, let's say, uh, uh, some of the mutual funds to get into this market. Uh, As far as the NBFCs are concerned, see, as I said, NBFCs are actually the ones who started this Pratt Credit eight to Mm ten years back, and they were a big player uh, until three, four years back. So they have that necessary skill set uh, or a understanding or an experience or a track record. Uh, for them, uh, the key reason was the leverage or the asset liability uh, management, right? Uh, because post-LNFS crisis, uh, many wholesale lending NBFCs or otherwise also generally you have mm-hmm. a restriction on the leverage that you want to uh, take on your balance sheet, right? While a fund structured does not have inherently any kind of a leverage restriction. I mean, a sponsor can Put two mm. and a half percent of the capital, the rest mm. is in taken by the investors, right? While there is a, a, a inherent limitation in terms of the size of the mm. balance sheet, and NBFC can become right given their net mm. worth and the other criteria, and then there are ALM. Uh, kind of uh, regulations and the mismatches also, which which one might have to run. Uh, and mm. the third is that uh, even in terms of the flexibility, uh, given that the banks and NBFCs are generally regulated by the similar kind of regulations, uh, generally NBFCs found that uh, uh, there is more flexibility for catering to this kind of a product, uh, which requires some flexibility, customization, call-taking and all that. Uh, and that's why they are kind of moving to the uh, AIF structure or a private credit fund structure. Uh, right. so that's as far as the NBFCs are concerned, as far as the global funds are concerned. See, uh, while there have been many foreign funds who have become active in this market, there are a lot of PE funds who globally run credit strategies as well, right? I mean, who right. are only not right. present in India. After so I would Global
1: is supposed to be one of the uh, bigger ones doing so.
2: Correct, correct, correct. And the reason is, as I mentioned earlier, that post-2008, I mean, all of, all the PE guys, if you see their global uh, credit strategies also, all of them were set up post-2009 crisis. Oh, uh, right so, while, so they have been having that experience in the global market and now they are coming to India uh, to replicate the similar strategy. However, there is a one uh, kind of a point over there that since Most of these funds are global funds or based out of, let's say, euros or euro. Mm -hmm. Currently, given the elevated level of interest rate and inflation, in absolute terms, the return that they are getting in their home market itself is uh, quite high.
0: high. And therefore,
2: all these global funds look at the dollar return or let's say, their home currency return. And that is when any emerging market, I mean, including India, you will have an additional cost, uh, whether it's in the form of mm-hmm. exchange rate risk or a withholding tax and all that. And therefore, sure. the minimum return that uh, global funds have to target in India uh, will have to be higher. So typically, they look at 18% plus kind of a return. Uh, and therefore, if you see the... Uh, Foreign banks, prop desk, or global funds, or private equity funds credit strategy, all of these guys would mostly be focused on the a special situation kind of funding or a high yield performing credit or a stress or a distress Mm. kind of funding. Right. Mm. Uh, Also, Mm. because they generally look at the large ticket sizes. I mean, they don't play on multiple transactions with a smaller ticket size and those kind of opportunities are or have been available in last two, three years uh, a lot. Many on the stress, distress or a special situation side. So I would say that's how I mean, all the people are looking at the private credit market and they kind of are looking at for this particular reasons.
1: Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned about uh, NBFCs, and you made a very interesting point out there on how NBFCs between 2008 and 2010 saw a flush of liquidity coming in, a lot of money going into this space. And they were the original uh, OGs, if we could use the term, of private credit even a decade back. But what has also simultaneously happened, and more so post ILFS, is that wholesale lending as a business is something that people are clamping down on. That market, correct me if I'm, if my understanding on that is wrong, hasn't quite picked up. Possibly since uh, 2017 or so. So whatever whatever little bit of rehashing that happened continues to remain so. So in that context. Do you see deployment through private credit as an alternative to, you know, lack of pickup in wholesale uh, lending or lack of pickup in wholesale channels and therefore a very sustainable and long term strategy or this is a makeshift arrangement? How would you want to look at the whole thing?
2: I think a bit of both. I mean, in a short term, it's a okay. bit of a shift. Uh, Where, uh, uh, as you mentioned uh, before, because of LNFS crisis and as the reasons were earlier mentioned, whether it's leverage, whether it's asset quality, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's funding getting dried up for a wholesale lending NBFC as a segment, whether it's asset liability mismatches. For all these reasons, I mean, the kind of funding that was required for probably wholesale lending NBFC to grow Mm -hmm. were not there. Or people were kind of taking it a bit slowly uh, for their uh, certain issues to be sorted out. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, while. A fund as a structure has been in existence for some time, uh, but it mm. has picked up uh, quite a prominence over the last uh, couple of years or so, especially post-COVID. Uh, as I mentioned, I mean, one of the reasons is uh, a taxation changes, uh, which kind of mm. puts them at par with any other debt product. And what it means is that everybody will look at the, I would say, uh, portfolio level IRR rather than looking at a post-tax IRR, right? And whoever right. kind of makes a higher IRR, uh, is the one who will probably attract more investors. Second thing is that, uh, uh, which is also very important uh, for this shift, is because of the domestic pool of capital, uh, which has kind of significantly got enhanced in last two to three years. And this is mainly the HNIs, right? Uh, and there is a lot of liquidity in the domestic HNIs market, and they have become, uh, I would say, uh, uh, quite interested uh in this asset classes as a part of their overall asset allocation and since private credit has now emerged as an asset class in itself rather than being part of the alternate asset class or being part of the uh, fixed income uh that is seeing a lot of allocation uh, coming uh, from their fixed income portfolio into this category and that has also kind of created Nilesh, a lot to of
1: spend a little time on this this is uh, you you've made a very interesting point out here again nilish i'd like to spend a minute on this so how do funds like yours take the proposition of private credit to your investors? Do you tell them that this could be our deployment? This is the IRR that we've historically seen in these portfolios. And what is the ticket sizes that these HNI, Super HNI typically look at when they look at uh, private credit?
2: Yeah. So as far as the ticket sizes are concerned, I mean, that's regulatory governed. I mean, minimum ticket size for any AIF investment mm-hmm. is one crore. So, of course, all the investors are generally sophisticated uh, financial investors or HNIs. On mm-hmm. an average, it could range anything from five to ten crore, depending on the kind of investor segment you are targeting. But yes, yeah. minimum is one okay. crore. As far as the product proposition is concerned, see, everybody has a track record okay and generally like any asset management business as you know whether it's mutual fund or whether it's any other asset management business a fund manager's track record is very important right and that is where uh, as i mentioned uh, there were many nbfcs including us who have been active in this space through the this NBFC vehicle and now probably looking mm-hmm. at the fund also so there would be a track record let's say, for many of the uh, fund manager to showcase through a different vehicle in the past. Uh, or there will be a track record of the team members also who will probably come together and set up a team and they would have worked in the previous organization on the similar product. So I okay. think that is okay. that is the track record you go with. Third is that now, actually what is happening is that uh, there are different products which are coming up across the yield spectrum. So earlier wow. a, in private credit, uh, because, Again, because of the taxation Uh, unless you generate a minimum level of a return on a post tax basis, it was not making any significant difference to the investors uh, return. Since that has gone away, and what actually it meant was that Mm -hmm. unless you were making let's say 15% 16% return, I mean on a post-tax basis, it was not looking that attractive. Now that that has gone away, people have started coming up with uh, products uh, which are kind of in the range of anything between 11% to 20%. Okay, so even there are flat credit funds. Uh, which are targeting anything between 11 to 13 percent, because let's say it is still higher than what a debt mutual fund will target, which is, let's say, roughly 7 percent, 8 percent or so. Uh, then there are funds which are targeting uh, what we call medial funds, which are 14 to 16 percent. Then there are funds like us who target high yield, which is 16 to 18. Then there are special situation funds who target anything between 18 to 20 percent IRR and then there are uh, stress or a distress fund who target anything which is about 20 percent. So what is happening is that at all yield uh, bucket, uh, there is a uh, there is a product which is coming up. So depending on investors appetite. Uh, For risk and return. And as a part of their allocation, they will look at that. I will invest, let's say, some portion in venture debt fund. I will invest some portion in performing credit fund. I'll invest some portion in probably special situation fund. So that is how this entire proposition and the allocation is changing uh, with people coming out with a specific product.
1: If I can ask you further on this, Nilesh, uh, how have you seen allocation toward this particular instrument uh, uh, in percentage terms? Let's put some number perspective here. Uh, increase in the last uh, two years or at least post pandemic, because that's when I, I think even on the tax front, we started getting more clarity. And now I would want to believe uh, that most of the tax related things are sort of well taken care of. We can there, there isn't any fresh tax surprises that one could see on this.
2: Yeah, as far as the taxation related changes are concerned, I think it is as clear uh, as it gets. I don't think uh, there are any Gray areas left. Uh, it's more or less level playing field for everyone. As far as the growth and certain percentages are confirmed, see, more than the percentages, probably I'll talk about the absolute size because this industry okay. relatively has been uh, a newer industry, right? Or it, it was at That's a nascent right. stage. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. very few players were there and if you compare the size of the industry in absolute terms it is still very very small compared to what the bank corporate lending industry has been or what NBFC's wholesale <laughs> lending NBFC ends me right mm-hmm. so let's say mm-hmm. till a couple of years back there were few uh, fund houses I would say a few fund managers who had already done their first fund and now they were kind of trying to focus on their second fund uh, if you see there. Uh, if you see the ENY report also, which is one of the report which kind of puts uh, some market size uh, to this industry. Uh, last okay. year they talked about the market size being five billion dollar, which was in uh, FY uh, or CY 21. Uh, and after that, uh, uh, this first half, or rather FY 22, and this first half of FY 23, they are putting around a four billion kind of a half yearly number. So if you look at it from that perspective, it is growing. I mean, something which was a year back five billion, maybe if you extrapolate at the same rate, may become $8 billion market, Mm -hmm. uh, right? Mm -hmm. However, if you now compare the the base uh, of the entire industry, I mean, $5 billion probably compared to a $400 billion, which is the market of the banks, corporate lending, wholesale lending, okay? So it is a very small percentage that way. So rather than looking at the uh, growth rate uh, of an industry which has a small base or which is just starting out, I think what is playing more is that even let's say 2% of the bank lending market moves to private credit or even 5% of the wholesale lending NBFC wow. market moves to private credit in absolute terms that will generate probably 100% return uh, or growth rather year on year, right? I mean, because in absolute terms it's another $5 billion, I mean, which will show 100% That's growth. a very interesting perspective.
1: That's a very, yes. very interesting perspective.
2: Correct. So that is that is I think how one should look at it before it, of course, becomes matures and it evolves and there are multiple players and there are multiple managers who have done multiple cycles and proven themselves. The products are proven and then you will see uh, that what is the true. A kind of a potential of an industry right mm-hmm. and how many people are kind of doing what is the size and all it's like mutual fund i mean it took them time right to evolve, right,
1: right. Uh, In fact, so that's that, how i thought uh, we should also sort of bring this podcast to a conclusion you're giving a very very bullish outlook on the sector which is but ob- i see where uh, the sentiments are coming from but one thing that is a little unclear, although it is supposed to be uh, chasing uh, lo- largely distressed and otherwise non-fundable avenues, this stream of debt is very pricey compared to a, a traditional stream. The difference could be upwards of even, uh, you know, 500 to 1,000 bits in certain cases. In that case, do you see this as a long-term sustainable market? Are we making a new market for these funds to stay, for a, stay forever?
2: So I think I'll answer it in two parts. What was the case maybe till six months back, nine months back and what it could be in future. You rightly mentioned that generally uh, the return or the yield expectation on this product has been relatively much higher compared to the mm. bank uh, debt yield or a mutual fund yield but as I mentioned earlier this was mainly because of the difference in the taxation rate right I mean even if you make let's say 15 percent return as an HNI investor and you are in the highest taxation category if you pay 40 percent tax on that your post tax uh, goes down to nine percent or nine and a half percent right uh while if you are let's say doing MLDs market link debenture if you remember that was also product yes, yes. Uh, 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 in Uh, till last year Uh, and your capital gain tax is 10% and even if that is even a double A minus or an A plus rated paper is giving you nine percent, nine and a half percent, you do it with capital gain and indexation benefit and all, you might end up still getting eight percent, eight and a half percent as a post tax. So the difference in the post tax rate that you are getting was hardly one percent to two percent, which was not exciting enough for many people to look at this product. But because of that, the reverse was true, which meant that for people to make that post tax return significantly higher or to attract invest- investors, mm. uh, they had to necessarily target 17 and 18% kind of a return. And that's why the products in which private credit players were playing were also the similar product, which is high yield right. performance credit, special situation, stress, distress, right? And the second sure. reason for global players was the one which I mentioned in terms of in last one year because of the higher uh, levels of interest rate, inflation and the exchange rate. So I would sure. say till then it was more necessitated. Uh, because of the post-tax requirement, uh, right? Whether for domestic Mm -hmm. investor or for global funds, uh, Mm -hmm. the post-tax return in their uh, home currency. Uh, And and that's why it looked pricey. And actually, it was pricier because the products in which they were playing were the relatively, let's say, riskier products or the higher return products. Now that... At least on the domestic front, this has gone through. As I mentioned, you are going to see AIFs coming at a 10%, 11% also, 13% also, 15% also. And there are many which are Uh, in the making, right? Now, if you start comparing a 11, 12 or a 13% IRR, I mean, a 10 to 11% IRR will be almost similar to what the bank charges. Uh, A 12 to 13%. Uh, return would be almost similar to what your large NBFCs are charging, right? And uh, people are kind of, uh, there are a lot of products and there are a lot of uh, borrowers who are willing to, let's say, uh a uh, pay that kind of an amount however the one most important thing we should not forget uh, is that it is not only about the pricing frankly because okay. uh, uh the entire proposition of private credit fund was actually to provide a customized flexible capital uh, uh suitable for that particular situation for that particular borrower's mm-hmm. need and the future mm-hmm. requirements so it was never supposed to be a productized approach uh, which should only be compared on the pricing uh it was mm-hmm. always like one one private credit fund may be able to do something for one particular corporate which other private credit fund may not be comfortable doing or may not be able to take that call and at the same time if one structure or a product has worked for one borrower uh, that may not work for another borrower and that's why what borrowers kind of like or come to this is because of that flexibility and that customization. So what is happening is that slowly, slowly it is becoming the mainstay of the capital structure. Now, when people think about the capital structure, uh, they will Um. say, okay. uh, banks, of course, should be the a large part of my capital structure because that's a large size debt. That's a lowest cost port, potentially. Uh, right? uh, people uh, who are easily replaceable
1: rate, should something happen.
2: Easily replaceable. There are a lot of uh, banks who have been around and uh, there is no issue. As far as the higher rated corporates are concerned, and uh, you have been uh, seeing uh, uh, Sebi also making a lot of regulations around the deepening of the corporate debt market definitely. and all. Mm-hmm. as long as you are triple a or a double a rated or a double a plus i mean there is a mutual fund market or there is a uh, listed ncds market yeah right where yes. you can go to the retail investor and raise money at a Fairly cheaper rate, uh, relatively. Yes. Okay. So those yes. issuances happen at 8%, 9%, depending on the rating. So these are the two traditional uh, form of uh, a capital available, but that is not available for someone which is, let's say, a mid market company or which is A rated or which is triple B rated or which wants money in a particular structure or for structure, particular mm-hmm. end use requirement, which banks can't give. Uh, they can only yes. give for capex or working capital. Now, for them, the opportunity loss of not having this capital of not doing that project or that business is much higher than the rate which they are willing to pay. And that's why they are okay to pay uh, whether it it is 16, 17 percent, which was the case, or 12, 13 percent, because the return that they are making because of this flexible capital is much higher than the rate that they're paying to private credit uh, credit guys. And this capital in this form was not available. Uh, either through banks or through public debt market. And that's why the private credit uh, uh, market came into picture. So I think that is actually one fundamental point that we should keep in mind that it's not that you are replacing a low cost debt with a high cost debt. It is also because it is giving the benefit also, uh, which is significantly higher. And that's why borrowers and promoters are okay for that.
1: And more importantly, this is not fly by night debt.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly not. And I think if, If the supply is consistent and it is going to grow and if a lot of players are coming into the market and if more importantly, a lot of awareness and education happens uh, across promoters and corporates, that this is also a pool of capital uh, which is available. Otherwise, see, traditionally till now, there was only a bank debt on the debt side and there was a private equity or a a public market equities. Right. Uh, But their expectation was 25 percent plus kind of an Mm error. There was nothing in between. So now this gives an option. Uh, to Mm. any company uh, to even explore that anything between 10, 11 percent, which is a bank debt to 25 percent, which is an equity IRR expectation. uh, If the risk is lesser or the return requirement is higher, then this is also a product where uh, I can go and take it. And uh, since it's flexible, people repay and prepay. I mean, they don't keep it forever. Uh, I mean, if let's say if you feel that now you can get a bank debt at a cheaper rate, uh, people go and refinance it. It's
1: economically not viable to sustain on it for long term
2: yes and that's not how they look at it also and because what happens is that after two three years they will either go for an uh, equity uh, market whether it's IPO or a private equity player or they will go to bank and refinances also so that's, this uh, is a product which which plays its part for let's say three four years uh, and uh, uh, if, if the return expectations comes down, uh, as I mentioned that there are a lot of private credit funds which are now going to come in the low yield category also, then they might even think of uh, keeping them as a part of their uh, longer term uh, capital structure rather than looking at it only for a short period. So that also could happen.
1: Just to conclude, let me know if my uh, pa- drawing the parlance is right we talk about uh, onboarding new to credit and then making them new to bank. Uh, This is something I would think quite similar. May not be entirely new to credit, but some distress or uh, let's not use the word distress here. Some uh, necessity to uh, tap in channel here, establish themselves and then onboard to the uh, traditional banking channel. Is that how you see the transition happen here?
2: Yeah, I mean, though a lot of these corporates now uh which are coming to private credit markets are actually very large corporates. Okay, so you would be uh, uh, kind of hearing the news articles also where people are raising half a billion dollar, billion dollar, I mean, some of the largest corporate groups in India through a private credit market. Right. Uh, Because of a specific requirement. So I wouldn't put it so much as to new to bank or new to credit as much as there is a specific requirement for a particular situation in a particular structure and there is someone who is ready to provide uh, uh, that customization and flexibility and and that requirement might be there uh, once in a while for any corporate and uh, that is when they tap into it. It's not necessarily either, let's say, uh, mid-market corporates or uh, uh, relatively young companies. It's not like that. It's frankly uh, a lot dependent on the specific situation and the requirement rather than the size of the company or the ability of the company to access credit market.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for this, Nilesh. It was a pleasure chatting up with you on this hot
0: topic. Thanks a lot again.
2: Thanks a lot.
0: That was a wrap on today's edition on Private Credit. We'll come back to you very soon with another equally interesting topic. Till then, it's your host, Hamsani Karthik, signing off. Take care.